And we are live. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a special Christmas episode of the Running Gun Podcast. Tonight we don't have uh, Flash or Ace with us, but that's fine. We got a special guest with us. And our special guest tonight is, of course, Mr. Freddie Stevenson. So we want to welcome him to the show. So what's going on, Freddie? Nothing much, man. I'm just, just vibing, man. Got me a good workout in probably about an hour and a half ago. So tonight I'm just chilling, relaxing. Appreciate you having me on, though. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I got mine in this afternoon, actually. I had I got to just get out of bed and just go. But I understand. But we got a lot of fun stuff tonight for y'all. Um we're going to hit on some stuff regarding HBCU football. I'm actually curious to hear your take on a few of those those things, Freddie. Uh, we got a couple questions for Freddie coming up here in the first quarter. Got oh my gosh, what what do we have? Okay, we got a lot of stuff. <laughs> this happens every week. Yeah, we got a lot of transfers. Transfer portals going crazy. Um, of course, the playoffs coming up, and a lot of questions to be answered about that but um before we roll this intro freddie you got anything i'm I'm ready to get into it yes sir yes sir i'm excited for this i've been we've been waiting on this for a while before we roll i gotta say we've been waiting on this for a while we've been what planning this since what october yeah for a minute yeah Yeah. i i will say too you i we've had we've had a lot of rattlers on here we've had a lot of Bucks play. Well, not well. We've had one Buck player and a Gator player on here. We've had, oh my gosh, who who else? We had a Bucks fan on here, but you are the first Seminole that I've finally been able to get on here. Hey. Yeah, I know. So I'm just like, finally, like somebody. So I'm 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 happy because I'm like I'm like how can I grow up a Florida State fan? And then this page never had a Florida State guy on here. But finally, we got one, and I'm excited for it. Let's get it. Yes, sir. Let's roll this intro. Hey, what's going on, guys? This is GP. This is the Bull. This is JC. This is Flash. This is Jimmy Hendricks. And you are listening to. And you are listening to. And you're listening to. And you're listening to the Run and Gun Podcast. Awesome, awesome. So, yeah, let's jump right into this. So, first quarter, of course, I gotta, I gotta ask it right away. So, um, my first question—it's a little, it's a little, I'd say plain, but here it is. Uh, so, what was it like playing for Jimbo? Man, shoot, I think um, you got, you got your good, you got your bad, but honestly, man, I think Jimbo is a guy that he looks out for his guys and he coaches hard and. That's one thing I respected about him. He um, sat me down one day when I was starting to take that that next step as a leader on the team, and he was telling me, "Man, like, don't take anything personal if I'm if I'm talking down to talking down and coming seem like I'm coming at you crazy because I know that the player that you could turn into, and I'm not coaching the player that you are right now. And you're a guy that's a little bit stronger than these other guys, so I'm gonna be hard on you, but I know that you'll rise to the challenge." So he's one of those guys that can kind of be misunderstood. And in, in, in that aspect, I knew the way that he coached just because he would bring me in and have meetings with me all the time. And I knew what, what place it was coming from. But, yeah, he, he coaches hard. But when I tell you, man, his guys he looks out for, like it's easy to take everything he does the wrong way. But I remember going to the senior bowl. And, like, sometimes you you like, man, maybe he went a little bit too far with that, trying to make this point. And I go to the senior bowl and I'm sitting down with scouts and every single scout is sitting talking to me about how Jimbo says I'm the best fullback he's ever coached. And that was, that was big to me. He's telling them about the things that I could do in the backfield, 
although I didn't get to showcase a lot of it in college. And he he kind of backed me on that. He's like, man, we got the best back in the country. It's hard to get other guys touches, but he is a guy that we feel like can play a little tailback in the league. And they were kind of shocked by that because he did have, I think, Jacob Hester come out of LSU, and he was a fullback. Like, versatile guy, played a little fullback and played tailback, and he went in the second round. But he told scouts that Jacob Hester couldn't touch me on the field. So when I when that came, I was like, Jimbo, Jimbo ain't capping. He really, he really bought everything that he said he was gonna do when he came in and recruited me. So shout out to him. Awesome. That's that's amazing. Cause I, I will say I, I agree with that. I I didn't really see because you know a lot of people say the fullback position is a dying breed in in college football and in the NFL. And like they say the days of Jerome um Jerome Bettis and Mike Allstott are done, but I will say, like, you you were one of those guys that I felt kind of, like, revitalized the position. And, like, whenever you got carries and everything like that, like, you you made an impact with it. Like, I will, I'm not going to talk about Clemson in 2016. That was not a clip or anything. That was a clean play. And then even, like, the Florida game in 2016, like, your your presence was felt majorly. Cause it, 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 I know you. What you, I believe you had a touchdown in that game, and then you had a few key blocks for Dalvin. I was gonna, really, I will say that if Dalvin doesn't get drafted as high as he should have, without you, I think, in my honest opinion, I think Dalvin, man, it's, I think it's a com- a combination. I think Dalvin's a guy that he's just so gifted; it was gonna happen regardless. But yeah. I just think us connecting in college, man, it was a chemistry that we were able to build and. Right. He was able to, you know, once you get in a rhythm with a guy and you're playing with, playing with him for so long, he was able to read off me so much. Like, I remember going into plays, man. He's like, man, Fred, I'm just following you. And to have that trust from a player of that caliber, to earn that trust, it just goes to show you the work the work I've done and the work we've done together and grown together. But I think it happens regardless of whether or not I'm there or not. It just goes to show you, man. The, th- the things that we were able to do together. I think, to be honest, I don't get the opportunities without him. Like, you can look at it both sides. Like, some people say he doesn't get, oh, man, listen, Dalvin made me look good. You feel me? So if yeah. I'm not back there with him, who knows? I may not be getting the opportunities that I'm getting today. So I'm appreciative of just having the opportunity to sit back there and play with him. Right. That, that's true. That's true. I got I got to give you that. I give you that one. That's, that's true. Because y'all, I... I agree. Um, my next one is uh, this because I, I I remember there was a debate on Twitter going on one day between Jalen Ramsey and James Wilder Jr. And those two guys were saying like who used to get the better of who in practice at Florida State. So I know James Wilder Jr. was saying like offense used to get the better of the defense and stuff. And then Jalen was like, we used to tear y'all up every day. So I'm asking you now, like, who was getting the better of who in practice? It ain't want no smoke, man. No, no. What I tell people all the time, just being honest, man, taking the bias out of it. You got a defensive guy saying the defense was getting better, and then you got an offensive guy. Like, I'm going to say it, unbiased. Man, it was it was balanced, man. Like, and I, I said it, some days you got defense killing the offense, and then some days you got offense killing, killing the defense. But it really was that environment, 2013, 2014, man. Anybody could get it. Bring a two on the field, they're going to embarrass one of the ones. Like, it was that type of environment. That's the type of competition level we had out there. Everybody was getting better. Iron, sharpen, iron. And that's what it was. So, for them to say that, man, they're both competitive guys that don't want to lose, and that's what you saw on the field during every practice. That's awesome. See, I wish I could have, like, seen – seen that I, that's because a lot of people they always say like well i can't wait to see the games like i i want to see the practices like fall camp like both sides going at it i feel like that was just special because I, I heard a story jimbo like told in an interview one day about he was like yeah we did a little goal line today to see who wanted it more and stuff and i think wilder came back a few years later and said like he had like bruised his ribs or something and he was still- yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a freshman at the time I was that was spring. I enrolled early, so I'm fresh out of high school. Mm-hmm. And we have a fall camp. And I'm supposed to come in. I was I was a two, I believe. And I'm supposed to come in. The twos are supposed to get their reps on the goal line. And they 
the offense just kept rolling. I think it was 27 plays straight. And somewhere along the lines, Wilder had broken his ribs. And we didn't know until the next day when he couldn't practice anymore. So, yeah, he broke his ribs and he just kept going. Like, he wasn't finna check himself out. Like, I, I remember a situation where he was, like, trying to kind of let the coach know what was going on. And then Jimbo was like, oh, he's thinking innocent. He doesn't know he has broken ribs. Like, oh, you saw. You saw. So Wilder was like, man, I'm not coming out. Players kept trying to come in. He wouldn't come out. He refused to come out. Defense wasn't budging. Offense wasn't budging. And when I seen that, I was like, man, this team this team may have something special this year, man. Right. Right. Yeah. See, I, I like to hear that. I like to hear that. That's that's nice. Um. So now my next question is this is uh, – what what do you think it's going to take for Florida State to return back to that dominance that they once that y'all once had? And it's going to take a while as far as like dominance. I feel like um we've seen some things going in the right direction as far as like the, the, the culture. I think for the past few years we've been known as a team like you get down, you get them down, and and they would quit. You wouldn't really see effort, and it just wasn't Florida State football. And I, I, looking back at the games, every game we were in this year outside of the Wake Forest game, so the the tryhard is there. Now it's about coming out and, and winning those games. And not only that, when you talk about the Florida State standard, it's about dominating games. Like teams were teams were scared to play us. They didn't want to have us on that on that roster. Like, um, so getting back to that. So when you talk about that type of standard, we're a long ways away. But getting ourselves in a position to where we can win seven to eight games a year and turn this around and getting us in a bowl game, I don't think we're too far off. It's just about finding a, a few more playmakers in certain situations. I think a few games come out differently because when you look back at some of these games, we were in them. The trial yeah. had us in those games, but it's like, man, we, we need a few more playmakers in this spot. Like, I think special teams killed us a lot in big games this year. And we, if we worked on that or – had that figured out this year, maybe we come out on top of some of those games. So a few more pieces get you get you in the bowl game this year. But as far as getting back to that that level of being a team that competes at the highest level, man, I got to keep it real. We're we're a long ways away, so I couldn't really give you a timeline on that. Mm-hmm. Now, what, what I, I will say honestly, the the one thing that I took away was the the Notre Dame game. I definitely felt like that was there for the taking and it was just a matter of just finishing. I felt the Jacksonville state game that was there for the taking too. And having played defensive back in high school, I know that doesn't mean much, but uh, my thing was just, you know, knock the ball down because those two games there, who knows, maybe you're maybe instead of wake forest, you're probably playing in the Gator bowl here on new year's Eve, you know? Yes. Looking back at the Jacksonville State game, like it was one of those games. I think I fell asleep in that game, and then I woke up to the news. And then I was shocked at the end of the game at the fact that we were well in man, I believe, and we weren't playing prevent defense. And I, I know the coaches, the coaches were saying they didn't want them to get a field goal, but they, they get a touchdown and they beat you at the end of the game. I take a field goal and take our chances in overtime versus giving them an opportunity to score on us, especially a team that you're pl- you're paying to come with. So. I, I don't really understand that decision to to be a man in that, in that situation. I think that's a game, a game that you 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 allow bad teams to stick around in the game. They start to get confidence, more and more confidence as the game goes on. At, at first, they're thinking, oh, "Man, we may not be able to beat this team." And then by the second quarter, they're like, "Man, those guys on the other side are soft. That's Florida State. That's Florida State." You know, like, man, they're not that good. So by the end of the game, they're feeling like it's a game that they can win. Yeah, yeah. That's- and we actually got a question here. Uh, how do you think the culture of FSU changed from the Jimbo years to now with Norvell? Yeah, I don't – I've been playing in Norvell, so I could just kind of give you an answer from the outside looking in. But to be honest with you, I think 2013 and 2014, they were they were solid. But in 2014, you started to see, like, the, the cracks starting to – it was starting to show a little bit that things were starting to turn in the other direction. I think after we won that championship in 2013, a lot of guys, man, shoot, we were all victims of it. We started to hear that, hear that, that hype. I think the um 
the sand we had that year going into the season was Dallas to Dallas because our first game was in Dallas playing Oklahoma State. And I think the college football playoffs first game would be in Dallas. So that was our saying. Like you got players tweeting it and it's cool to have that goal. But the year before in the national championship, we didn't go into that year saying uh, we, <coughs> we're going to be national champions. Like, man, we control what we can control. We know we're a national championship caliber team. Like we're not fools. But if we don't win the day and take it, take advantage of the opportunity that lies in front of us, we can't be talking about national championship at the end of the year. And I think um, 2014, we got a little bit ahead of ourselves. We got lucky because we were talented all over the course of the season. But when we ran into Oregon, you see everything that should have happened to us. Probably, I said we had like four or five games in that 2014 season that should have ended up ugly like that Oregon game. Oregon just had the talent to exploit it. But um, when you get to 2015 and 2016, you get younger guys in that didn't understand the work that took place not just in 2013, but before then, like thinking back to that 2010 class that turned everything around, they didn't see the work it took to climb up to the top of the ranks when you were one of the teams in the ACC that was left that they didn't see that. They didn't understand that. In my 2013 year, we had some guys that were on that roster. So they were kind of able to instill that, that work, that workload, that mentality that they learned from their own vets and us. And, that's how we went about business. But then in 2015, 2016, you kind of got some of the guys that kind of have entitled mindsets. And these are guys that we need to make big contributions on the team. So it's tough kind of dealing with that. And to be honest with you, I'm a guy like I love, I love, I'm a, I was a big leader on the team. One thing I always stood on, I ain't finna baby no grown ass man. Like that's, that's one thing I stood on. Like, man, if you, if you don't want to play like, that's on you. You're going to be chilling at the crib and your family going to be asking you what happened. You're going to have excuses for it. If you're going to get, get with it, get that look, ran over on Saturday. That's all it come down to. You know what it takes to be successful. Either you're going to do it or you ain't. And we tried to lead, we tried to lead guys in the right direction, but you can't make grown man do it. I agree with that. I know that's right. I know that's right. Cause I was sitting there sometimes and I was wondering, I was like, guys, like what, what's, what's what's going on like because the one that was telling to me after the playoff was the houston game and then the fact of the matter too i mean given they had a lot of good ball players but the old miss game in 2016 i felt like i felt like i was like they're just letting old miss just run all over them and stuff in this first half y'all got it together in the second half but i was just saying to myself like this shouldn't be happening not not with old miss Man, I remember um getting into it the the Houston game, cause you know every this the career flies by fast, man. Life is short; you don't know how long your career lasts. And I remember the bowl game, like we had we just come from California, 2013 to 2014. Then 2015 stuck with the Chick Fil A bowl. And I'm not gonna lie; it wasn't as good as the other other two bowls we were at. We didn't really get to have as much fun. We didn't have as much free time. And I remember hearing one of the guys say, "Man, I'm just ready to go home." Like Screw the bowl game. Like, I was like, and we, a few players got into it. Like, man, listen, we don't, we don't play that over here. Like, either, if you come to play, like, this Florida State, we here. So if you didn't want to come, you should have stayed home. And right. when I heard that, it just was like, bro, what type of, what type of person are you? What type of people we got on this team now? Because what we had in 2013 and 2014 was dogs. And then now it's like, man, now you now you out here baby little kids. Like they don't get patted, patted on the back. They don't get told congratulations for doing something that they should be doing anyways. It's an issue. And doing a lot of that, it became draining. And you had to find the balance. Like for people like myself, you got Demarcus Walker, um, a lot of other leaders, Dalvin, Jalen. You gotta come down hard on the guys, but at the same time, you gotta realize a lot of these just sensitive too. So it's kind of finding that balance because some of these kids, they they shut down completely when you come down on them. So it was tough trying to find that balance those years, to be honest with you. And to go to Norvell, I think he came in, man. The culture was – it was shot. Like, even um, just looking from Jimbo's past, last few years, it was terrible. Mm-hmm. Just watching, those, watching those years, it was terrible. And then you get the next coach coming in, it was terrible. 
in the first year when Norvell was there, it was still like trying to weed some of that stuff out. It was terrible at that point. But I think this year is where you see some things kind of um, transitioning over and getting getting better. Now it's just trying to get it to translate over to the field because you can be the mo- most gung-ho team in the world, but if you ain't getting wins, it don't matter. That's true. We got another question here. And I, I know I got one last question that we can switch to a different quarter, but uh, why do you think FSU has been having trouble closing out games the last three years? It's a few reasons. On one, I said one earlier, man. You just got to get playmakers. Like the reality of the situation, man. Some of these guys, I know they four or five stars, whatever the case may be. I don't know if we have any five stars on the roster, but a lot of these guys were highly recruited. Um, but you get to this level and you you realize, man, there's a difference between being a four star in high school and then going against grown men in college that are trying to take care of families and stuff. Some of these guys in these moments, they kind of fold under that pressure and everybody isn't, isn't ready for it. And then, I don't know, the competition level development, some guys don't develop like you thought they would and they kind of disappear in those brightest moments. So just having playmakers that in those moments, man, you know what they're going to do. They make those plays. That's, that's the biggest thing. Cause I think looking back at those years when I played, we always knew regardless, man. In big games, Rashad Green was going to step up. Jameis was going to step up. We could lean on DeMarcus and Jalen and Dalvin to do that thing. And then the guys we had on the defensive side, on the front, man, it's, it's, so, it's so many things. Like, even Reggie, I just, just had him on the pod, man. Reggie always stepped up. You already knew, like, he was going to be consistent, do his thing. But having guys like that, that in big games, you knew they would step up. That's really the difference versus now I see, like, I think maybe it was the NC State game, I believe. I was looking around and I was just watching the game and disappointed in some a little bit because I felt like a few guys were looking around waiting for somebody else to make a play. And yeah. <clears throat> us, it was it was different. Like, even with me, I'm just a fullback. But it's like, Coach, give me the ball. I'm going to do something with it. I know I ain't one of these guys, but that was my mentality. Like, man, you give me the rock, and I don't show, I don't show, I don't show it. You give me the rock, I do something with it. I'm thinking, I think I was averaging like seven, eight yards a carry. Like that was so, coach. You give me the rock, I'm gonna do something with it. But that's how everybody on the team was. Like, give me, give me the rock. I'm not, I'm not scared of this moment. I'm finna go make a play, and right. you knew that you put the work in to actually do that. So I think um, it's a combination of both having the guys that can make those plays and then having the mentality like, man, you can't run from the moment. You come to schools like Florida State, these other big universities in the country, you come to schools for these moments, man. When the lights shine brightest, you can't run from them. That's what, that's what we live for. Like, man, I used to dream about this stuff. Like, I remember games, man, just um, – before games, just sitting in our room, we never had, had late late night games and stuff, man. Meditating and stuff, envisioning myself making prime time plays and, and big games. Like that's what that's what you look forward to. And when that moment comes, some people get nervous. Like, damn, coach is calling me. Like, man, this is what I've been waiting for. And that's what we got to get back to. I definitely agree. I do, I, I agree. They see they they need more dogs like like you, Freddie. That's what they need, man. That's and that's my that's my mentality. I was like, they they need to get some dogs back, like like you guys that want it, guys that are hungry for it, and you know that Florida State way that you know like guys like Coach Bowden and Mickey Andrews started, and then it kind of rolled over into the Jumbo years and everything like that. But I, I do I do have one more question for you. I wanted to ask you about your your book, also too, because I I've been meaning to get a copy of it and everything. I know. Oh, I thought you had it with you. Oh uh, no, I got I got some copies in the room. Oh yeah, I've been meaning to get my hands on one and everything. Make sure you get one right now because we're doing. I'm gonna post. I'll make the post tomorrow, but I'm, I'm gonna tell you here first on the show. We're doing a sale. The book was um fourteen ninety nine. We we dropped it down to four ninety nine, and then the ebook it was five dollars. So we're doing it for ninety nine cents. So we're gonna do a sale for the um for the holidays. Everybody, make sure to take advantage of that of that sales because. We're gonna start pumping the price back up here soon going into the to the new year. But I did want to um show some love, man. We got some 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 loyal supporters, man, that have been able to do some great things for us, man. Like Feb- in February 22, we're we're planning to drop my, my documentary. 
the book was so successful, man, that producers started reaching out to me, man, and we're working on a documentary and hoping after this gets done to turn it into a feature film. So um, this doesn't happen without your support. I know we're going to be doing some giveaways along along the way, but for everybody that doesn't get the opportunity to get a signed copy of, of the book for free, make sure you go online. And I know um, with everything that's happening right now, I plan I plan to do a lot of big things in the future, and I, I'll keep you guys updated on it. But yeah, yes, sir, yes, sir, please, because I I def we'll definitely get together after the after the shows goes off goes off, but everything, but because I, I definitely want to get a copy. I I'd had it in my Amazon shopping cart for the longest, and just life happens and everything. I've not been able to get my hands on one, but I really want to get my hands on one and read it in my downtime. Yeah, man. Um, just hit me up after this. And I'll get you a signed copy for sure. Yes, sir. Awesome. Awesome. Also to Ace, we see your question down there. We will get to it in the NFL portion of the show. Right now, we're going to jump over into the HBCU portion of the show. And this is the first question I got to jump. I got to start off with because I know you saw it on signing day as well as I, as well as me. Uh, the fact that the number one recruit, Travis Hunter, signed with Jackson State. He unfortunately, well, I hate to say say it like this, but left Florida State at the altar, and went with Jackson State. So, I mean, what are your what's your take on that whole situation? Man, it's it's big, man. Um, you see what they've been doing over there at at that level, man. Getting all these these former pro pro legends over there. You got Eddie George, um, you got Deion Sanders, you got a few other people um over there. I think Hugh Jackson's um at what Grambling now, I believe. Um, yep. So you, you got guys with a lot of experience, and then you go look at their staff. They got guys over there that have a lot of years of experience that played in the league. And I think um, on Dion's team, he has two or three guys that have over 10 years of NFL experience just playing. So I don't know what they have done as coaches, but they got the experience and they know what they're doing. And just I think when Dion came over there, it kind of got the spotlight on them a little bit more because – he is what he he is what he is, man. He he draws he draws attention, and you see now a lot a lot more of the games were on ESPN this year. So you knew at some point I felt like I didn't know if it was going to be a number one recruit, but I felt like he was going to sign sign a guy that made some noise. But I, yeah. I have been there for years, man. For for people to start actually taking it serious and when they're recruiting and stuff. It took something like this for, to happen because I know when I was recruited out of high school, I think I had an offer from from FAMU. They were on the HBCU to offer me. A lot of schools they feel like, hey man, it's pointless to offer these kids. But the times are changing now. But if you look at it now, I may since things are changing, you may look into it and like, man, I'm, I'm gonna consider one of these schools because at the time in my head, it's like, man, you you know the change you can make making this decision, but my future, like yeah. they don't have the resources. And that was always the, the biggest thing. And I knew it would take somebody that had the, had the resources and, and had something to fall back on and didn't really have to worry to do it. When you look at this NIL era, now kids have that, they have that, that plan to fall back on. And then like Travis Hunt, I think well, the deal he signed, I don't know the exact numbers or whatever the case may be, but if something doesn't go wrong, like he's he's good for a year or two, like his family his family's straight. Versus if a kid would have did it in the past, their career may be over. So yeah. I think now kids won't be as scared to do it anymore, especially with the NIL coming into play. Because when I saw that, when I saw the um Travis Hunter doing that thing, like the biggest thing for me, a lot of people upset. Like, why would he go to that school? I'm like, man, do y'all not see? That he's on every national media outlet right now. Exactly. Like his his stock went up way more just for making that move. It, see, the thing I saw was ESPN bumped him down from the number one to number two recruit after he chose Jackson State, which I thought was kind of messed up. Was he already number one? Because I know some um, recruiting sites have different rankings. Uh, I want to say I thought ESPN had him at number one, but I'm, I'm sure maybe he was number one on twenty four seven. Sports, but I don't know. Um, because to be honest with you, I think twenty four seven is a recruitment site that most people follow now. 
ESPN has kind of lost the credibility over the years. Wow. Oh, yeah. Right. Interesting. But yeah, you're you're definitely right though, because the thing was, and this was a story I heard actually, because I was in Tallahassee for the FAMU and T game last year. Um, because that game got moved to a Sunday. Um, and there was a family friend of mine that I met, and he was saying that, and then we all know Khalil Mack ended up at Buffalo, but he was saying the same thing too. Khalil Mack wanted to come to FAMU, but mm-hmm. At the time, because of the coaches and everything, I think the coaches were like you said, they did they felt they couldn't get him, so they didn't even mind, they didn't even bother offering him. So I'm I'm just sitting here like I'm like, fam, you could have really had Khalil Mack, and that could have just started a ripple effect in itself. Yeah, it would have um it would absolutely change the game, but um yeah, it's crazy. That- I don't think people would have made that decision at that time, even if they would have offered him. It's just too much on the board. Like, only yeah. way Lil Mac is making that decision. He's like, man, I got to have some money under the table coming in. Like, mm-hmm. just to touch on that, it's funny that people are saying the, the whole thing about people cheating with the, the deals and stuff. It's like, come on now. It's college football. Yeah. People have exactly. money for the longest. Yeah. Come on oh. now. If, y'all, if we really want to do that, then – to probably every university in the country should be shut down. Like it happens. So I don't I don't get that. It's like man, you just you just lost. It is what it is. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh oh, we got a question here. So can we safely say FAMU's HBCU champions? Actually, that unfortunately, bias aside, that did not happen. So after the celebration bowl, I don't know if you saw it or not, but they Two different two different pages or two different sites actually named one named Jackson State HBCU National Champs and another one named South Carolina State HBCU National Champs. But the funny thing is, is FAMU actually pounded the daylights out of South Carolina State when they came to Tallahassee. So it, that that kind of sparked a little debate there. And I mean, my bias said, you know, hey, give it to FAMU, but I knew too. I was like, well, Jackson State beat FAMU head-to-head. And then Bowie State made some noise, too, in, in the Division II round because they went pretty far. They lost to the runner-up, Valdosta State. So I mean, it kind of made sense eventually to not start all this commotion, give it to South Carolina State and Jackson State. And, hey, it is what it is. So, you know. Yeah, that's crazy. Do they have, like, um, playoffs over there? Unfortunately. So the only playoff that there is is the FCS playoffs and the D2 playoffs. So the the, D, the D2 HBCUs like from the CIAA and the SIAC, they can go to the Division II playoffs. The MEAC and the SWAC used to send their teams to the FCS playoffs. But I think with the, with the coming in or the birth of the Celebration Bowl, both conferences have decided to really not do that. But the interesting thing that you saw this year was because FAMU had gone nine and two and had a very nice resume of work having, you know, lost to a team flooded with power five transfers in Jackson State. And really, honestly, if you, if you had if you had been there, you could have said, really, fam, you could have won the game. FAMU was really a missed drag route or a field goal away from just winning because they lost by one point. Um, so FAMU, like so after they beat Alabama AM, they made a case for themselves. They got to the FCS playoffs. It's just, I think you kind of we all saw the the power at B between like those top dogs in the FCS and the HBCUs. It's very different. Like I was kind of hoping to see a FAMU versus James Madison matchup, but Southeast Louisiana was here, FAMU was here. And I think you kind of saw like what needs to be done to kind of level the playing field there. Okay. But I mean, like like I said, FAMU still made history with it though. They were the first SWAC team to go to the playoffs since 1997, and I mean, and then of course, well, the first HBCU to go as well since 2016. But it's it's interesting though. It, it there's no playoff. It I was thinking that a few days ago. I was like, if if HBCU football had a playoff to really kind of even this out, it would be interesting. 
no doubt. Oh, here's another one. Does the criticism of the lack of quality competition about Marquise Bell, is that irrelevant given the success we're seeing Darius Leonard have in Indianapolis? Yeah, I think um, just looking at looking at it, I think just from outside looking in, it's easy to say, oh, um, the lack of competition is going to hurt somebody. But, nah, man, I've seen guys, man. I, I remember when I was in Chicago signed with the Bears, it was a guy that – Shoot, if you want to talk about the FCS level, a guy that was at the D2 level, like he's not even at the FCS level, divisional FCS level, he got drafted in the second round, tight end, and on film he's bigger than everybody, faster than everybody, but they're looking at it like, man, his skill set, his size, everything that he has, all those tools translate to the NFL. And Mm -hmm. we were in camp and he was dominating all pros and everything like that. So – if you can play, it it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if you're going against Tom, Big Harry. It don't matter. If mm-hmm. you're good, if you're bold, they're gonna bring you for a workout and see if it translates. And if it translates, they're gonna they're gonna pick you up. Whether that's in the first round, second round, third round, it just all depends on what type of player, what caliber player you are. But I don't think it it matters. But it doesn't matter. The scouts gonna find you. I agree. I definitely agree with that. Because and here's my. Were you were you in Chicago when Tariq Cohen was in Chicago? Same draft class. Okay, not yeah, yeah. Because I was gonna say I was like you you were right there with one of I think, golly, I think he was like A&T's all he's A&T's all time leading. Um, Tariq and then Tariq had if we, if we want to get um technical, he's he had a lot going against him. Not only um could they try to use the lack of competition thing against him, but he was undersized. So he has two things working against him, but they're looking at it like, man, listen, they said Darren Sproles was on the size, and then you got this guy that's dominated the league for so long, and that's what that was a comparison coming out, Darren Sproles. So, man, I don't think it really matters, man. It, it, tra- it translates. I think you put a guy like that, you've seen what he did, he's done when he's healthy on special teams. Like his rookie year when he was healthy, the things he was able to do, um, I think it translates. And some of these guys, man, to be honest with you, I think it's good because you get a guy like that that's undersized at a Division One university, a Power Five school. They may overlook him because he's undersized versus at these um other schools that aren't really giving the guy that are giving guys more opportunities. They get to showcase their ability a little bit more. Right. Yeah, I I definitely agree. And that and see with that, that's why I kind of feel confident about Marquise Bell coming out of FAMU and a couple other guys coming out. I still feel like Marquise Bell deserves to be in Indianapolis for the combine, given that he is coming from an HBCU. I think him and the boy from Notre Dame are the two best safeties in this draft in this draft class this year. Give him him a shot, man. Um, Every year you see somebody rise, rise to the challenge and absolutely dominate dominate the combine and then at that point if he dominates the combine that's when they come back and look at the film and the film tells everything they're looking at the film and he it translates that's when you see guys go early so give him opportunity give him a shot i feel like he's he's earned it um and we, we go from there absolutely absolutely and that now will bring us to the nfl portion of this and i believe we had a question I had to go gotta go back and find it. What do you make of the Urban Meyer Jaguars disaster? And why does why does great college coaches have why do great college coaches have trouble transitioning to the NFL? It's college, man, you gotta think they got so much power, but then you get to the NFL, you're dealing with grown men. I understand a lot of guys are grown men in college, but you still got so much power over these kids, you control their future. But in mm-hmm. the NFL, it's not even a lot of guys are making more money than you, but then even with that, they're grown men with families. They're not going to let you just talk to them any kind of way. And then a lot of these coaches come in with that that dictator type mindset, and it's not going to work with with these with these guys. It's like, man, listen, you may not be be here by the end of the year messing with me. I'm the franchise guy. Some of these coaches try to come in with those with those type of mindsets, and it doesn't work. They lose the locker room fast, man. The, the coaches I've been around that have been successful in the league. You got some like Bill Belichick. He's a no nonsense guy, but it work. It, it works, but he's not. He's also for his players. Like he's not a guy that, oh, um, that tries to completely embarrass his players. Like some of these coaches, that's how, that's how they go about business because they were able to do it in college. 
It's not working with grown men. Like if you cut me, somebody else is picking me up. So that that's why it doesn't work for a lot of these these college coaches. And for Urban, man, it was just a disaster, man. I've never seen a coach <laughs> not fly back with the team, and then he's at the bar later that night. Like I've never seen that happen. And the issue with me in this situation is, yeah, you could say because I seen something come out um, about how the staff, like some of the things he was saying to him in meetings, they were being soft and complaining about the stuff. Yeah, you can say that, but at the same time, he has to um, accept some accountability as well. Like, um, that's one thing I've noticed just this whole time. He he doesn't have a good issue. He doesn't have a um. He doesn't do a good job of doing. He has an issue with accepting responsibility, and until he does that, man, I don't know. He, I think at the collegiate level, he's he's dope, but it's weird and. It's funny to me just look, thinking about Urban Meyer. Every year he says he says he's um retiring, man, and <laughs> I don't know. It's like everything has to be great for Urban to to be successful. I'm, I'm I'm looking at man like when he was at Ohio State. As soon as he sees some chinks in the armor, he's out of there. Same thing with Florida. He, he's out of there. But at all these schools, you hear about all the things that he allowed behind the scenes. So once it started to blow up in his face, he doesn't want any of those issues. So it's it's been happening forever. It's just he's been leaving when stuff gets hot. So now yeah. in the NFL, it blew up in his face. That's all that that's all that happened. Okay. And then we got a question regarding Marquise Bell. Is it too late for him to get into the in the combine? No, nah, um we had some guys when I was coming out, they got invited like they were close like they got their invitations like two weeks away from the combine. Um Guys I played at Florida State with, they were wondering if they were going to even get invited. But, yeah, some guys, they get that call late. So uh, it isn't too late, man. That's still, like, you still have opportunity. Interesting. See, I, I didn't know that. I figured everybody just got theirs at, all in one big clump. But, I mean, to know the people. Some guys, I was training, man, and I was nervous about getting mine. I remember I was training. It was January. I started out in – I got there in December after our bowl game. Mm. Oh, our bowl game was early January, January 1st, I believe. But I got there um, later that week, and I just started training. And for a while, I was like, dang, man, everybody's talking about getting their combine invites. Why don't I have mine? Then my trainer, he's like, man, I've been doing this for a while. You're the number one fullback in the country. You're getting an invite. And, but everybody just gets theirs at different times. But there were people that got theirs. I got mine a little bit later than everybody. There were people that got theirs way after me. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's interesting. I had no idea. You got bored. You, this is the thing. They have guys that you know, um, that across the board, everybody's going to pick them to go in. So it, it, it's no, there's no discussion, no, no argument about it. Then you have guys that are kind of borderline, and then they start to evaluate everything just so they make the most informed decision about about that. So looking at guys that may. Like um, Bell at FAMU, like man, we want to give this guy another look just because. Like people, people um laugh at the lack of competition, but that may be the reason that they get the invite to the combine. It's like man, we want to take a deeper look at this guy versus if um they're playing at a different level and it's like we don't really see on film. Now you don't get the invite, so I think that helps him in this situation. Yeah, and we got another one here. Is that how does the pre-draft process work? Oh, it's it's crazy, man. Um, yeah, um, just meet with, meeting with teams, taking phone calls, and the the most nerve wracking moment of your life is to come on. And you know, earlier when I told you about the guys, are like, man, I want to go home. I don't care about this bowl game. Right. The, at the biggest moment of your life, there's people that really like, man. I'm gonna tell them like, I injured something because I'm tired of taking all these questions. Because what? Yeah, people don't understand like the they 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 set it up for you to be um uncomfortable. So all day you're doing meetings and stuff, doing all these different events, on um, meeting with doctors and things of that nature, and then you have to meet with your trainer so that you have everything on point, so that you run run the best you possibly can on the day of your own performance. Mm -hmm. Get back to your room like two thirty or three in the morning, and then you start back up in the morning at seven o'clock. But the coaches know that. Some shut down your meetings early, but some hold you later on purpose because they want to see how you perform 
in pressure moments when you we're not when you're not feeling your best when you when you're sleepy you're tired because that's what football is you're not gonna always be at your best so they want to see how these people perform and it's it's tough for some people it's draining it's draining and they don't like the process at all but I think um the day that kind of takes the, takes away from people the most is meeting with the um the doctors because you're literally in there for like two to three hours with people just pulling tugging on you in all different type of ways and if they see anything anything small now you got to go get MRI, MRIs for like six or seven hours for the rest of the day and then after that you're thinking the teams are going to consider the fact that you're out and not bother you about meeting with them no they still want to meet with you so. It's a draining day already, and then you still have to meet with um, coaches and things of that nature. Wow. I knew about the whole poking and prodding thing, but I did not know about, like, those little tiny details of making it uncomfortable for you. I had no idea. That's what – that's what they do a hell of a job at that. That's crazy. What? Man. Yeah, it's not – like, the senior bowl for me, it was about – work but they was like man we're gonna make sure y'all have fun you guys earn this the combine is let's make them as uncomfortable as possible it's no the first day you get there the only time you're gonna have fun when you're um, training for the combine is the first day before they have all the intro introductory meetings and everything and then mm-hmm. after that that's when it gets real like it kind of it kind of is like a, a culture shock for you the first day you come in they they set you up with all Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, and everything. You you walk around the town to see everything. You think, oh, this is gonna be a fun event. Then you, the next day, like, oh man, we, they tricked us. Wow. So I have, so here's my thing: is the IQ testing is that a real thing? Yeah, it's not like the IQ test is probably one of the easier things that the you don't sweat it like that. Okay. I, yeah, you don't you don't sweat it like that. It's the other stuff that makes people nervous, man. Like people. Everybody, nobody comes into the combine like completely healthy. So everybody has an injury history, whether it's small or it's something um, significant. And those are the things that people worry about because, you know, some guys may have aggravated something in training. And, man, those doctors, <laughs> they know how to find it. Like, I remember with my process, because um, I had a big injury in um, high school, and they said my career, would I would never play football again, but I would became those odds. So the doctors, they were looking at my my records and biggest thing was like let's look at his leg let's look at his ankle even though i had played four years in college and had no issues mm-hmm. and i got through every single doctor like probably over 50 doctors then one doctor that had already had me that day he comes back he's like hold on let me take another look again and i was like what <laughs> and this guy he's like no nah, this um he brought up a whole bunch of things like he's gonna have arthritis um once he gets a little bit older in his ankle and then all the other doctors, like, they red flagged me. I had to go get um two MRIs, I believe. So it took away a lot of my night. Wow. Oh, man. I'd have been hot. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm out of there. I was like, oh, okay, I got it. My, my biggest worry was the ankle. But we were thinking, like, man, since I played four years, they really shouldn't be tripping about it. So I'm thinking I'm good. And then we get out. We're getting out of there. And then he's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm like, oh, man. That's crazy. I man, I would have wow. I'm I'm gonna see now I'm gonna look at the combine a lot more like in depth when I see it this year. I'm gonna just be more it's all the time, man. Like you appreciate the opportunity. It's a blessing to say I was able to be invited there for people on the outside looking in, like that just didn't that just had pro days and stuff. We were looking at them like, man, y'all lucky. Like y'all get the yeah, of course we had the combine and the one thing about the combine, with all that stuff being considered, if you perform well, it holds so much weight. If you run a, a four three at your combine, you, you're good. That's why I think the people that don't perform well at the combine, even if they come back to their pro day and perform well, they don't. It, nothing overtakes what you did at that combine. It holds so much weight. That's why I think for some people, man, they've they've snuck into the first round just by not having to go to the combine. Everybody's comfortable at their pro days. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I agree with that. <clears throat> and one last question now for for you before we jump to the NCAA portion. Uh, how do you feel about this? Because a lot of people are on this bandwagon. Yeah. Um. I think so. Man. I think he he should have his opportunity. I was looking at 
Eric Bieniemy and him what was it last year when they were bringing their names up? I don't know why um Eric Bieniemy's name went away in the coaching search. It was hot for a while. I don't know if it's something they found behind the scenes or if he just didn't interview well. But when you go back and look at that run Tampa made last year, Byron Leftwich had a, a huge role in that. So I definitely think he um deserves the opportunity. And Bruce Arians is a guy that speaks highly of him. He thinks that he deserves a uh, head coaching job. Yeah, I honestly I felt with like with both the Bucks and the Chiefs last year, I felt like both coaching staffs were going to have a lot of guys interview for jobs and a lot of guys were going to be gone after last season. But my thing is my thing is like this. Look, if the NFL doesn't want to entertain you and they want to be hard headed and they don't want to learn their lesson, keep doing what you're doing. And really, my thing with Eric Bieniemy, I feel like one of these days he's going to inherit that team from, uh, oh my gosh, what's his name? Andy Reid. Yeah, Andy. I feel like he's going to inherit that team from Andy Reid. And possibly the same thing with Todd Bowles. I do think Byron Leftwich eventually, because I know Jimmy Smith and a lot of former Jags players are hyping up Byron Leftwich to get that job in Jacksonville. So I think Byron's at some point going to possibly end up in Jacksonville. And I think it'll be good for Trevor Lawrence, but I could see Todd Bowles sticking around. Like I just, um, my my answer was more so just the fact that he's deserving of a head coaching job. But one thing I see with a lot of like black on black coaches in the league, they always give them the worst team. Like, and then they, they suck there and they never get another opportunity versus you give all these other guys opportunities. They flop. And then, Three, four years later, they're considered again. I think, um, what's it, Josh McDaniels, he sucked as a, as a head coach. But now he's back in New England, and they're considering him again. But it never happens with black coaches. So um, that would be my thing, man. Like, shoot, if you, it's hard to tell a guy to turn down a head coaching job because everybody believes they can go go um, change a team, change a culture, and turn them into a winner. But when you're dealing – it's hard to overcome terrible organizations. And the, the Jaguars are a terrible organization. It's hard to win over there. And if you don't have that structure from up top, you can't be successful. So if it's possible for him to stay in Tampa and wait for another opportunity to present himself, to present himself, then um, that would be dope. But, you know, opportunities aren't lying around all, all the time. So I just hope he um, gets another one later because I ain't seeing him get put in those positions. Yeah, I, I agree because, I mean, look, they – what? oh, my gosh, Lovey Smith went 10-6 and six and he was fired. I thought that was messed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Coach in Detroit. Raheem, Raheem Morris. He was, with the, he was with Tampa, I believe. Oh, yeah, see, Raheem Morris. Honestly, I will say when growing up here, he wasn't the most mature guy at the time, but now I've noticed he's matured a lot since like those days in the past so i feel like now would be a good time for him to become a head coach i don't know how he was then at the time but um yeah i, was, I had a workout with um at atlanta and you could definitely see the maturity like i wouldn't um have an issue with him being a um, head coach he, he orchestrated a lot and i was there um doing the, the little camp with them and yeah he, they just brought up jim caldwell man jim caldwell was shoot over the past few years he was the winning this guy in um Detroit. These other guys can't even win the game. And Jim Caldwell was competing winning games and they fired him. Thank you. Well he went nine and seven and got fired. It's crazy. I didn't got now these guys every damn near every year they're they're in the running for the number one draft pick. Exactly. Like they just lost the number one draft pick to Jacksonville. Well we got another one here. You know why Jackson was so bad? Is it the owner's side con? Um, yeah, it's start, everything starts at the top, to be honest. So if, yeah. if the team is um like that for a while, then it all starts at, at the top. Um, like in Cleveland, man, when they sucked, <coughs> their front office sucked. So yeah. no matter who they brought in there, you've seen it. It's like, man, this Cleveland team has talent, but no matter what, they seem to blow a game where they can't be consistent with it. It all starts up top. These guys are not to put together good teams. And it's not just about talent. You can have all the talented guys in the world. Like you see in Cleveland, man, they had Odell, Jarvis, Landry, and it didn't work. But if you don't have chemistry, if you don't know how to put a good team together that can actually work together and be a, co a co cohesive unit, then it's not going to work. 
So yeah, the top it starts with the top. I agree. And we're gonna bring in I guess he finally got finished doing his Christmas caroling, but we're gonna bring in Ace here. I don't this is I thought I was gonna be <laughs> said Christmas caroling. This man what do we just say Christmas caroling? Oh, now my um, godfather just came in town, I had to go deal with that. What's up? How you doing, Mr. Freddie Stevens? I'm good. How you doing? Good. I was the one in the comment section the entire time. I wasn't around the camera. Okay, okay. Yeah, this is our this uh, is our ace. He's the youngest of the bunch here, but we love yeah. him. Um, so yeah, let's go ahead and shift over now to the NCAA. Uh, I know, I know you. You're I, actually. I really want to know: Are you a fan of the transfer portal and how this thing's just been set up now? Um, I think yes and no. Um, you got guys that are going to be able to to utilize it to their advantage and set themselves up. Great. So I think um, a lot of guys that I played with, I, I wish they had a transfer portal to utilize, but they weren't put in great, great positions. And they were kind of in situations where they were stuck. But on the flip side of that, I feel like, man, some guys are kind of getting soft with it. And whenever a little bit of adversity faces them, they're ready to leave. They're ready. They're ready to give in on on it. And that's when you see guys transfer like three or four times. Like, man, at some point you're gonna have to man up and face some adversity and beat somebody out because that's what you're gonna have to do at the next level. Exactly, and I, I I agree with you. Like I said, I think it's I think it's bad for college football, but I think it's good at the same time. But I think ultimately it hurts the the high school athlete coming out. Because now you got kids that are fighting, that are being recruited for a position, but then you have coaches that are filling that position with a more experienced guy out of the portal. Yeah, it's no different. That's why I say, man, it's good and bad. I don't think I wouldn't even consider that bad. You got guys that want to that want to talk about going to the NFL. So when you go talk about this, all it is is college free agency. When you talk about um, being a free agent in the league, these guys that are looking for opportunities, they um these younger guys, these rookies, un, uh, undrafted free agents, or whatever the case may be, they're gonna always go to a proven veteran over these guys, even if you have um a higher ceiling or whatever the case may be. If a coach's job is on the line, I'm taking the proven guy every time, and that's yeah. the same thing with the, a lot of these schools in the in the transfer portal. A lot of these guys racking up on these transfer guys, man, they need them. They need them. Although you seen Saban um get him a get him a running back that I feel like is gonna end up being one of those guys that we see in the Heisman race, Jameer Gibbs. But a lot of these coaches that get these transfer guys, they're teams that are trying to make that get over that give it get over that mountain, man. Get over that um that rock that's been kind of holding them back, man. And so that's we're one of the teams that last year we hit hard in the um transfer portal. We got um Jermaine and we got Pierre Thomas, um other guys, Jamie Robinson. So we're a team that definitely needs it right now. We can't afford to. It's it's so the position we're in. We can't afford to just sit around and wait on seventeen to eighteen year old kids to yeah. two to three years. Like some of them we can, but right now we need some guys that can come in from day one and make an impact. I I agree. And then two two things because I know two things before we wrap it up because I know I know you got to go, Freddie. Uh, Here's my first. Here's my question right here. Have we? Because I know Brent Venables is gone, Tony Elliott's leaving, and then the AD already left. So is this like the end of Clemson's dominance? Yeah. I think you started to see the um, Clemson of old. When Clemson yeah. was a hashtag. Yep. We're gonna see a lot of that. I I just think um losing somebody like Venables is big, and then when you lose the AD, that's big as well. But Venables, man, when you go back and look at our game, that's a game we take home if they don't have Venables. Venables, just the second half adjustments that he's been able to make in his whole entire career, man, that you can put those up there with anybody and say that he's, he's the best um, defensive coordinator in the country. He's that good. So yeah. when you have him, man, I think a lot of their success stops fast. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because I, like I, I felt honestly – Outside of 2016, when y'all should have beat them, I felt like 2015, y'all could have got them. I felt like, tw not 2014, 2015, 2017. No, they, you were going. Yeah, definitely 2015 and 2016. I'm going to just stick with those three. 2016, we had, that's our game, got cheated. But 2015, it goes back to what I was saying earlier, man. 
in that game, man, we just didn't have enough. Like, we had Dalvin and Venables adjusted to that in the second half. Like, Dalvin was killing them in the first half, but he, he adjusted. And that second half, we just didn't have enough playmakers on the offensive side of the ball to bring it home for us. And that, that was the, the the biggest thing that kind of took that home. But once he – Venables does it like no other. He took away Dalvin and he was like, man – Y'all, the rest of you guys got to beat us, and we just have to beat them. I agree. And then one I, last thing. I have oh, a question yeah. for uh, Freddie Stevens before we go off. I was like, what do you see that made Kenneth Walker when he headed over to Michigan State? What do you think made him so successful as he transferred over? I just think um, sometimes it's getting into a, a, a new program. You got, And then you go over there, you got completely different athletes. Wake Forest guys, no knock against them, man. They're, they're guys that – some, a lot of those guys go on playing in the NFL, but you got a completely different type of recruits at Michigan State than you do at a um, a Wake Forest. And he he was a guy that had some success at Wake Forest, and these guys that have success at Wake Forest, like man, if they played at a Florida State, like we played some of those guys, like man, if they played at a Florida State, man, they probably be getting more looks for, for from the league because they have better players around them. And he he got over somewhere where he had better talent around him. And it's showing. That's that's all it really comes down to. And another thing as well, you've seen it this year. Wake Forest wasn't a team they were this year when he was there last year. So it's it's crazy. So one one last thing before we before we wrap up. Uh, which of the which of the six or which of the four non playoff games in the New Year's Six are you most looking forward to? Ole Miss and Baylor are playing right. Yes, that's the Sugar Bowl. That's the game I'm looking forward to. You and everybody else. I'm just like you. I want to see Baylor's defense against Ole Miss's offense. Yeah, that's my, that's my game. I feel like that that'll end up being the. I don't know. I don't want to say the best game because I really feel like Michigan and um, Georgia is going to be a hard nosed game that football fans love to see. But mm-hmm. that matchup with Ole Miss and Baylor is going to be one to see. Awesome. And then one last thing, one last thing before we wrap it up here tonight. Uh, so, who do you got winning the whole thing? I'm gonna go out on the limb, man, and I think Mich- I like Michigan. Oh, yeah, I like, and I feel like Michigan's actually tough, and they're the most balanced, balanced squad. So that's why I like. I could, I you know, I could see it. I've, I've kind of figured if there was ever a year for an SEC team to kind of like not come away with the trophy. It would be this year because I mean, look, the the national championship is in the is in the Big Ten's backyard, so it would be heartbreaking if the Big Ten were to lose this in their own backyard to an SEC team. So I mean, if there was ever a year for a Big Ten team to get it, it's this year. And then Bama had um, John Mechie go down, so it's it's not it's not hard because Bama don't have doesn't have any elite backs um, like they've had in the past, so. All the focus goes to Williams now. It was a lot more difficult to guard him when you had those two elite receivers coming at you. Then you have a tight end that can do things in the passing game. It's tougher. And I think you just take away that and then find a way to make um, Bryce Young uncomfortable. It gets tough. But the first, first they got to get through um, Georgia. And I think that's going to be a great matchup. But like we've seen in the SEC Championship, Georgia doesn't have an answer at the quarterback position. It is true. I was gonna say Georgia doesn't have an answer in the big games right now, and it's 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 gonna be a good game because what Bama was able to do to expose Georgia, Michigan doesn't do a lot of. They're a hard nosed team. They're gonna run it a hundred times a game, and that that's in Georgia's favor. Georgia's weak in the, on the back end, so Michigan has to be creative and find a way to exploit that as well. I agree. I agree. And folks, this is that's gonna do it for us this evening. We love the questions and everything that y'all kept having come forward and everything. This was awesome, Freddie. We want to thank you so much for joining us this evening. No problem, man. I appreciate y'all having me, man. Make yes, sure. Sir. Does this go live immediately? Yes, this is already live right now. Yeah, we're live right now. Whenever um, are y'all on like Apple Podcast or Spotify? We are on Spotify. Okay, whenever it's live on there, just make sure to um, tag me and I'll make sure to share it for y'all. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Thanks. Also, too, uh, if anything, let us let the fans know where they can find you on social media. Yeah, man, um, all my platforms, Struggle Made 105 on um, Instagram, Twitter. Make sure to follow me. 
and he talked about the book, but you guys be on the lookout for the documentary dropping early 2022. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I will, I'll definitely be on the lookout. Like I said, we, we go, we, we're going to get together. We're going to talk about getting a copy of the book. Cause like I said, it's, I've been just, I've been ready to get this book for the longest and I'm, I'm planning on getting one as soon as I can. Yeah, now I don't know if ebooks are more convenient for you, but we got that for 99 cents. So you can just download that off. I'll send you the link. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Ace, you got anything before we roll? I didn't see the intro part, but I hope he introduced uh, Freddie as a author and documentary creator. We got to make sure we do that when we close him out, man. He's got his own book and he's making a doc. You have, like, come on, J Peeps. I'm, I'm sorry. Okay, I I didn't know I I knew about the, I knew he was an author an author, but I didn't know that he was doing a documentary until we got into the show. Ace. All right, all right. Just like I was like, that's pretty cool though, to have your own book and then you're making a documentary series. That's got to be pretty cool. Yeah, man. I mean, it's um my two year anniversary comes up December thirtieth, so I make a post and that's gonna be inspirational. It's crazy. I wrote a note in my original copy, like the first ever copy, my. My editor um, sent me over a copy of my book to prove everything before we, we published the book on Amazon and, and things. And I wrote a note in the book um, two years ago. So when you see the note and see what's taking place over the time, I, I'm going I'm to write a note in the, the, the new book that's a bestseller. I'm going to write a new book, a note in that on December 30th. When you see what's taking place over, over the course of the year, over these two years, man, it's crazy. And I think it's going to inspire a lot of people. I can't wait. I'm, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to this now. I got to get this book. Um, but yeah, Freddie, we want to thank you so much for joining us. Um, as always, folks, you know, y'all can follow us on all of our social media platforms. As Freddie st st stated earlier, make sure you follow him on all his social media platforms. It's StruggleMade105. Uh, thank you so much, Freddie, for joining us. We're definitely going to have to do this again sometime here in the near future. Maybe before even the draft, who knows? Yeah, sure. Yeah, let's um do it. Um, yes. just um, kind of like now, man. Make sure you hit me up um ahead of time, cause you know. I got you. Things were a little busy at the end of this year. It's coming down now around the holidays, but they gonna be pumping in twenty twenty two. So make sure you hit me early. We can set it up. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And as always, folks, y'all have a blessed night. Y'all stay safe. Enjoy your holidays and enjoy your new year. We'll see you in 2022 when the Running Gun Podcast fully returns for a third season. So y'all stay safe, stay blessed, have a nice night. <laughs>